right. Well, at this time, the children can head out to Children's Church. You guys have a lesson prepared just for you. So last week we uh, began looking at what we're calling the vital signs. Vital signs are the indicators not only of whether something is alive or dead, but also the health, the vitality of that, uh, that individual, that person, that being. So when we have our vital signs tested at the doctor, the doctor's not trying to see if we are alive. He's trying to see how healthy that life is. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We are looking at what is the vitality of the life that we have spiritually, not physically. So last week we started with intimacy, that God is looking for intimacy, that there were three aspects that were necessary to intimacy or indicators of intimacy, and that was closeness, trust, and secrecy. Ultimately, that God is looking to have a relationship with you that is not just close, it is one where you trust him and he trusts you, and it is also one where you have secrets, and we use the example, well, they, they, it's actually all throughout the scripture. Uh, there's a lot of examples of God giving secrets and sharing secrets, and, um, but in Revelation, for all of eternity, you're given a white stone with a new name on it that only you and God know. That's, that's eternal secrecy right there, um, because it's a, it's a mark of intimacy. So this week, we're going to talk about uh, another word. This word is uh, authenticity. Authenticity is a word that we use, um, well, I don't know that we necessarily use it right. Uh, It is kind of a catch word or a a, um, a buzzword that gets used nowadays. It seems like, I don't know, ever since the turn of the century, I hear hear authenticity, I hear synergy, I hear um, uh, intentional, all of these words that are used uh, by people that when I was a kid, I I never heard anyone. Authenticity is one of them. When people use the word authenticity, when they want to talk about being an authentic person, they mean being true to who they are. Or they use the words uh, being real. We've got to be real. Okay? Or um, I remember a while ago, people would say, hey, you do you, I'll do me. Right? And that was the whole concept is that uh, you've got your way of doing things, I've got my way of doing things, and, uh, and we've got to be authentic with who we really are. we just got to embrace it. There is, yeah, that is partially what authenticity is. is. There is what is real, but it's broader than that. It's bigger than that. Uh, Authentic basically means verifiable. That's, That's what it means. It means that the reality of a thing is the same as the claim made about that thing. So if I came in here with a first edition of a first edition print of uh, uh, the catcher in the rye, and I brought it in here and I showed it to you, how would you know if it's authentic? Well, I'm going to bring in a certificate of authenticity. I'm, I'm going to bring in something that's going to show you. I'm telling you, this is a first edition printing, and here is the verification that it is. Here's why you can know that it is. So authenticity is whatever is claimed is also reflected in reality about a thing. So it's not just about being real, it's about being verifiably so. It is that there is evidence 
that what is claimed is true. So when we are talking today about authenticity inside of our faith, inside of our spiritual life and existence, that's what we are talking about. We're not talking about and getting real with Jesus. No, it is about are you, as a Christian, verifiable? Not certifiable. Verifiable. Is what you say consistent with who you are and what you do? Now, sometimes the concept of authenticity can get wrapped up into um, uh, original, right? It's the original one. So by that definition, none of us Christians would be authentic because none of us are actually Christ. None of us are Christian. Uh, well, th- there's a nice little fun word. I've seen this on, like, uh, Antique Roadshow and stuff. They'll talk about authentic replicas. Now, it almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it isn't. An authentic replica is something that comes from the same source as the thing it's copied. Oh, man, you're going, what in the world are we doing? No, okay. I have a couple of artists that I like their prints. I just can't afford any of them. And so every once in a while, I'll go on and I'll look online. Now, if I go on and I spend $600 for a limited first edition print of that author's, uh, that that author, that artist's uh, painting, and it gets sent to me, right? It gets sent to me. I'm a fool if I think that it's it's the original. When an artist does artwork, they make the art, and then it is copied, and you buy a legitimate copy. Now, what's the difference between spending $500 for a copy from the company that the artist works for and paying your neighbor 10 bucks to go take a picture of it? Now, in the end, they might both look the same, correct? You can buy inauthentic replicas of things all the time. But they, they don't carry the verifiability of it. So when I buy a painting, I want to know, even if it's a copy, I want to know that it's authentic. It comes from, it's verifiable. It's sourced where it comes from. It is what it claims to be. So here's the first point that I want to get out as we start going through this, is this, is that authenticity, I want us to remember this, authenticity is the opposite of counterfeit. You've got a, you've got a string here. It's, it's one or the other on these two uh, uh, opposite extremes. On one end is a counterfeit. On one end is something that is authentic. Both could be copies, as I mentioned. What makes something authentic versus not? It's simply this. Is what is claimed about it the reality of it? If I take a picture of a Thomas Kincaid painting that you like, and I print it out, and I sell it to you, I say, "This this this is an authentic print right here. This is counterfeit, right? Why? Because it is not what I am presenting it to be. Same thing with money, right? Authentic money is money that originated and was put together, multiple copies, but it originates, it is verifiably from the U.S. government. What is a counterfeit? 
fulfilled. One that presents itself as from the government, but it is not. It is from a different source. That is as simple as authenticity gets. It is a question. It is a question of whether or not what is claimed about a thing is real. So I'm asking you today, one of the ways that you can assess the uh, spiritual well-being and vitality in you is by examining your authenticity. Are you authentically Christian? And that question means, is what you say about God and what you say about yourself, is it verified in your life? Do you believe that God has the power to transform sinners? I'm asking. Does your life show it? That's, the, that's where we get into authenticity. I can spend my life spouting truth from my mouth. But if it is not verified in my life, it was meaningless. It was inauthentic. Authenticity is the opposite of counterfeit. Look, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. John, this is the disciple of love. This is the guy who is all love all the time. Here's what he says. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him Truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. This is how you verify what you say. If you claim to be changed by God but show no evidence of it, were you really changed? The fact that you proclaim it's possible does not affect whether or not it is verifiable in you. Now, again, as I'm going through this and I'm trying to figure this out, because I had a rough time with this lesson, because I'm sitting here going, what is the point? What is the point of this? What? Fine, authentic, make sure you're acting the, acting the way you think. But then the more I started digging into it and trying to understand it, this is extremely important. There is a world around us. And do you know what the number one reason they reject God is? Hypocrisy in his followers. Now, hey, maybe it's just an excuse. Maybe they just don't want it, and that's what they pick up on. That's And we could write that off if it wasn't a pretty true statement. The world looks at us. I'm convinced. I'm, I'm convinced of this. You, most, most of us as Christians, we go out into the world and we feel rejected right now, right? Right? We feel like the whole world is against us, and rightfully so. They are against us, and they are teaching against us. They're coming against us, and persecution is coming. I'm not even going to argue that. I know that it's happening. This is all coming. 
but they want. I want you to understand. They want what you're saying to be real. Why do kids push boundaries? Well, depending on your opinion of children. Most believe that they push boundaries because they're testing the limits of your love. They're, they're, wanting, to, they're wanting to see how much you love. It's, it's not just boundaries. It's it, they want to see how much you care. I want to I redirect our mindset. When the world is hostile to us, it's not because they're rooting for us to fail. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And that may even be what they think they're doing. But internally, internally, they want to see something real. They want to see that we don't bend, we don't break, that this power that we claim from on high is actually in us. The truth that we proclaim is actually something we believe, and we will not give in on. They want to see it. They want to believe in something real. In Titus 1.16, Paul writes to Titus, he says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. We are not supposed to have this dichotomy in us where what we claim to be true is not manifest in us. God is looking for authentic Christians. And it is because when we are inauthentic, it is not us that people cease to believe in. When I claim that there is a God that transforms lives and then I don't have a transformed life, they don't suddenly cease to believe that I exist, but they cease to believe that He does. He is dishonored. As a father, we can worry about a lot of things, but I'm going to be honest, as a father, that is the one thing I have worried about more than anything. I don't want, I don't want what I know to be true by the way that I've chosen to live or the choices that I've made. I, I want them to see that it's real. Talking about authenticity, these, this is counterfeit when the words in your life don't match up. authentic is when the two things match what we're called to be so we can examine ourselves that way does how we live match what we say um, second thing is this oh man this is going to be rough alright all right, I'm, I'm, it just is it's not easy authenticity is grounded in identity 
and not feeling. Authenticity is grounded in identity and not feeling. I'm going to speak plainly about the world, and then I'm going to speak plainly about us who claim to be out of it. Our world has gone to the logical conclusion, as illogical as it is, it has gone to the conclusion that we are what we feel. All you have to do is look around. All you have to do is listen to someone as they speak about who they are as a human being, how they identify themselves, how they view themselves, and what they expect other people to view in them. And they have come to define it based on feelings. Because when you do what postmodernism and humanism does, when you remove any external definition, be it a religion or patriotism, you know, there, there used to be religion and patriotism. There were, there, there were different things that gave us a sense of who we were. And now that we have thrown all of those things off in our wisdom, what is left except how I feel? This moment, how I feel, is the only real thing. It's the only thing that defines my existence. And so we have gone, I say logically because it's the only, it's the only end result of this. And yet it makes no sense. And listen, I'm talking about, I'm talking about outside now, but don't, don't be afraid, or maybe be afraid because I'm going to talk about inside the church here in just a second. So we are surrounded by a culture where your gender, is, it, it isn't defined by the parts you have or the genetic makeup of your body. It isn't black or white. It isn't defined. It is completely and solely based on your feelings. I feel that I am this gender, therefore I am. Or, and it's it's not it's 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 not even this isn't even pie in the sky. The actual, real examples becoming more and more where you can actually identify you if you feel a different race than you are. You you are that race, despite the fact that your skin tone hasn't changed. You you, you carry none of the physical characteristics of that of that ethnicity. You just. You just get to be, why? Because you feel it. When we remove any sort of standards, the only standard that's left is our feelings. And if our feelings become the only standard, then everybody else around us must also confirm our feelings. Otherwise, that makes us feel bad, and now our life is out of control because it's defined by feelings. I cannot be in a good place if my feelings are out of whack. Now, before you think that I'm picking on non-Christians, because I'm not, I'm talking about humanity and what we do. It happens in the church.
the sermon was good if I felt it. The songs were good if they moved me. I'm tired. God understands. I'm just going to sleep in because I just feel exhausted. I don't feel like I could teach good. Jeremiah 17, 9. The prophet there writes, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperate who can understand it. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. only what we do with it, how we channel them. Our feelings are just chemical reactions happening inside this sloppy thing called a body. They don't always make sense. There is a long line in my family. It goes through the Atkinson side. That's my mom's side. Mom, I'm sorry if you're listening. Ask Jenny if this is true. You can ask my kids. If I miss a meal, there is a completely different Nathan that lives inside of this body. He is angry and grumpy and irritable. And the more I go without food, the longer I go, the grumpier I get. And it is so stupid because Jenny has noticed all she has to do is feed me. And all of a sudden, I'm great. Now, those are real things that happen. And I actually get to claim that it's genetic. I mean, it's not even like I'm just crazy or something. My mom does it. My sister does it. Other family on that branch of the tree, they do it. If they miss a meal, we get grumpy. So is that who I am? Is that... My identity? Am I predetermined? Whether through nature or nurture, am I required to be irritable when hungry? I am not. Does it mean I always succeed in controlling myself? No, it does not. But I have a choice of whether I identify who I am according to what I feel. 
and the sad thing is, and now here's where I'm actually giving the world a break, and some people, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to hack some off. Listen, if you are not a Christian, what else do you have to define you? That's why I have no, I personally, well, that's why Paul, why am I saying me, Paul? Paul tells us that we should not try to get non-Christians to live as Christians. Why? Because if they do so, it's inauthentic. Because it doesn't come from the same source. It doesn't come from the same place. Let the world be the world. Don't, don't try to make them inauthentic pagans in their mouth renounce God but in their actions obey him does that help God it doesn't it doesn't help them and it doesn't help us no what we find is it is only when you come to Christ that you are able to be something different 2 Corinthians 5 16 to 17 we'll go through a couple here real quick Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It is only in, it is only in becoming a Christian, in accepting Christ, in coming into salvation. It is only in that moment that you receive a different identity, a new birth, a new creation. You are something different, and you can act and behave and be different. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, these feelings that I have, have been crucified. I'm set free from them. It doesn't mean that they don't still come up. If I skip a meal, I still get ang- I still get hungry. But by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within me, I can live differently now. Or Paul sums it up this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 to 10. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. I love You know why I love this passage? Because it is about identity. It is about understanding who we are and that we are not slaves to feelings or the flesh any longer. What What does he say there? He says, hey, we may be jars of clay, but there's a treasure in us now, and that makes us valuable. It makes us different. And we are here to take care of that treasure, to be the treasure. Paul says, say, he says, we may be afflicted, but we are not crushed. Do you hear the, hear the identity? We might feel as if the world is against us, but it cannot crush us. Because it's not who we are. 
He says, we may be confused, but we will not despair. We may be persecuted, but he will never leave us. We may be struck down. We might be killed. what happens to us, how things happen. They don't define us. We have been redefined as a new creature, a new creation, a son, a daughter of God, eternal heirs with Jesus. All things that are his are ours. His life is our life, everlasting, eternal. Even when I make a, Paul tells her, even when I make a mistake in this body now, it's not even me, it's just the flesh doing it. God don't even see it anymore. I am nothing but pure. I am only holy. So you know what? I struggle with depression. Comes and goes. More comes and goes. Struggle with it a lot. Always have. Is that who I am? Am I the, the worthless, useless, meaningless, unloved, uncared for, hated, rejected? Am I, is that who I am? Because that's what the voice tells me. That's what the heart tells me. That is what the world tells me. I'm going to proclaim like Paul. I may get depressed, but I am not beaten. I may, I may suffer financially in my life, but I am still provided for. I may be rejected by every person in this world, but I am loved. Nothing changes that. Regardless of whatever feelings we feel, we have been fine. We can live according to either our feeling as we did before we knew him, or we live according to the identity that he has given us. Last thing. kind of seems out of place, but, but it isn't. Let me explain. It, and that's authentic, authenticity shows a, a desire to serve only one. It is a desire to reflect, represent, or to serve. Let's put it that way. Uh, after the, You're getting a different lesson now because after Jenny listened to the first sermon, and afterwards she goes, yeah, that last point didn't connect with this, this, and this, so now I'm making it connect. Have any of you seen, there was a painting of the Last Supper that was on a, on a church, and it, it was like a, old, and it was, it was almost invaluable. And I can't remember what happened. A spot of something got on the face of Jesus on the painting, and a well-meaning woman went and got cleaner, caustic cleaner, and went to work on that picture to get that stain off, and she destroyed Jesus' unwilling to face that mistake, she went and she grabbed a brush 
and some paint, and she repainted his face. I should have had it up here. Go type in on Google, not now, but you'll know. Woman repaints Jesus' face, she laughs at it. Look at it. It doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't even look human. I don't know. I mean, he looks like the Mr. Bill doll from Saturday Night Live. It's ridiculous. It's the most, it is the worst thing you've ever seen. The point here being, when the picture represents two different artists, it's no longer authentic. It's no longer, it no longer belongs solely to the one. And it's tainted and it's broken and it isn't what's, I mean, it's, it's ruined. doesn't work very well if I if I go up with clay and I start working on it with an image in mind and I step aside and someone with a completely different image comes and tries to reshape it into something else. It's not going to represent anything. It's just going to be a nasty, horrid mess. The same with us. There is no fence sitting. There is no uh, uh, walking the line, trying to be in both worlds at once. It just doesn't happen. We don't like we don't like uh, wishy-washy. We, I mean, we have, we have brown noser, and we have all kinds of phrases for people who, who try to please other people. And none of, none of them are nice. None of them are, are like, encouraging or, 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 like, wow, that guy, he's a real brown noser. No, it's pretty bad. We don't like those kind of people. They don't stand for anything. They don't mean anything. Um, and you never know if what they're saying is true. It's the, it's the, it's the same with us. We can't. The faith is, it can't be wishy-washy. It can't be stuck in, in the middle. And I want, you to, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about just a desire not to please the world. You should not even have a desire to please anybody in this room. You should not have a desire. Oh, okay. Bear with me. You shouldn't have a desire to please your wife or your husband. You shouldn't have a desire to please your kids. You should have a desire to please the Lord. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 5. But with me, it is a very small thing, meaningless, that I be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring the light things now, bring the light things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Jesus tells us there's in the end, when you stand before him, there's only two words you hear. I don't see in scripture that God goes, Jenny, come here, what do you think? What do we do with it? We don't know. I get to hear two things. Well done. Depart from me. I do not know you. That's the commendation from the Lord. Paul says, I'm not here to be judged by you. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to the Christians. I'm not here to be judged by you. I'm not here to be judged by the world. But you know what else? He says, and I love this, I'm not even here to judge myself. only one person. And what he's saying there is we have a tendency. We want to please the world so we'll tell the world what they want to, right? We talked about that last week in James, right? Friendship with the world is enmity toward God. That's fine. We have a desire to please people close to us. 
but most people are trying to please themselves. We're chasing after what we want, how we want it, when we want it. We are trying to please ourselves. And I'm telling you right now, as a Christian, if you are doing this, it is an inauthentic faith. You can only please one. And for us, the question is, is it the world? Paul says, I'm not, gonna be, I'm not even going to judge myself. It isn't even about what I want. It's not even about what I think. I just, what he wants, what he says, that's all I want. That's the only thing that matters. And I'm going to go back so you don't think I'm cruel and mean to my family. When I seek to honor God, when I seek to please him, I will treat my family, I will treat my spouse with love and and care, but I don't do so because they deserve it. I do it because I'm trying to please him. Why is that important? Because sometimes they don't deserve it. Sometimes we're not in the middle of getting along. Sometimes we're having a squabble. If I am seeking to please someone else based on how I feel about them at the moment, how I treat them is going to vacillate back and forth. If I am treating them the way God wants me to treat them, always selfish. It is always So I'm not here to please anybody except to hear those words well done. So Paul says this, last scripture, 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4. He says to the Corinthians, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul hits on a universal truth. The whole situation we find ourselves in goes back to one choice. Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent said, why don't you eat it? And she said what all of us would have said. No, God told us we're not to touch it. She was there. She, was, she goes, uh-uh, I, that will not make God happy. What is the temptation? No. No. In fact, you'll become more like God. And then it says that she looked at it, and she desired the wisdom that it gave. She took it to please herself. It was pleasing to the eye. There's a lot of amazing things that I get from this relationship. But the relationship needs to be an authentic person. 
an authentic Christian. An authentic Christian is one that is not defined by its past. That's why I, I have no problem standing up here ever. I, any of you come and say, tell me a sin that you've committed in your life that you haven't shared up here in the pulpit, and I'll rattle some off for you. I have no problem. We'll do it right here because I don't care. I'm not defined by my past. I made mistakes. Christ has changed them. I am redeemed. I'm good. Those things represent uh, the old life, the flesh. I'm more than happy to tell you about all that stuff. Hey, don't tell me. Don't let other people define you. I know. I know that in my heart, what I profess and what I believe is, is out of love for people. Regardless of whether the world ever calls me a bigot, a hater, whatever it is, their words will never define me. If for some reason my wife was to decide that she was done with her faith and she's gone and that's it, no more, I'm not going with her. I'm not defined by that relationship. When we got married, we made that agreement to each other. I wouldn't, and she knew I would not follow her if she fell away. She's told me, I will not follow you. Embrace who God says you are, because that's the only truth that lasts for eternity. The flesh and these feelings are gone. They don't last forever. They burn up. But who he has made you to be is eternal. Live according to that. And drop the desire every desire that is not for him. It's very clear. And it's the only way that we as Christians get one. The only way will be authentic. I can fish on a car. I have a station we listen to. That's, that's all well and good. But none of those things make us authentic Christians. So Jesus offers this morning that invitation to come and I will change you. I'll make you new. That which is old will be gone. It's offered to us. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If there's anything that we can do to minister to you, to pray with you, whatever it is, do not hesitate while we sing our song.